us. And I'm so thankful for that. I appreciate so much what our deacons and Brother Tim did this morning. And I consider myself so blessed to have been the pastor of a church for 23 years and I haven't got fired yet. <laughs> and, and to know that you love me and if you don't love me, then just keep it to yourself. Don't tell me that you don't love me. <laughs> but I truly do love you. And I think you know that. I think you know that. And uh, I appreciate that so much. I couldn't help but think 40-something years as a pastor, a couple of times I've had deacons who didn't feel like our deacons do here and uh, caused a lot of trouble. I mean caused a lot of trouble because they thought they ought to run the church. That's not what a, a deacon's office is. And you say, preacher, well, how do you know about that? I, w- I was a deacon for many years before I surrendered to preach. And I appreciate our deacons. And they truly are helpful. Now, they were right. They're constantly after me. But it's in a fun way. And I can get back after them, too, in a fun way. I appreciate that so much. All right, our text this morning is going to come from the book of Luke in chapter number 5. From the book of Luke and chapter 5. So if you'd turn there, please. And uh, we'll look in verse 17 through verse 26. And as you know, uh, for the last little bit, I've uh, chosen texts that had two words in them, but God. And uh, that really opens up some things for us, but God. We looked in the 73rd Psalm where the psalmist was so discouraged and down and out because people who did not respect the Lord, were being being blessed, living good, and it was more than he could stand. And the Bible says, until he went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and then he understood their end. So that's neat, because God reveals things in the sanctuary, in the assembly of the saints. Then we saw one where God had blessed Jonah in the heat by causing a gourd to go up to shatter him and blessed him in that and then turned around, it says, but God uh, sent a worm to cut the gourd down. And that was neat. Uh, But God sent the worm. And then we saw last week how that all of the experience of Joseph in the Old Testament uh, should have really gotten him. But it didn't, because in the book of Acts it says, but God was with him. But God was with him. Now we're going to look at one this morning. I'm going to read in your hearing, verse 17 through verse 26, as the Lord blesses his word. And it came to pass on a certain day that he was teaching, there was Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, 
which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken of the palsy. He was paralyzed. That's what that means. And they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop and let him down through the tiling uh, with his couch into the midst of Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now you'd note he didn't say, You're healed. Take up your bed and walk. But he said, your sins are forgiven thee. Don't forget that Jesus saw their faith, including this man on the bed. Faith of those that were carrying him, but more importantly, the faith of the man on the bed. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God, but God alone. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts, whether it's easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sin, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up, his, took up that which he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, "What have, We have seen strange things today. Now, the subject matter that I want to share with you this morning is forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin. Now, there's a lot of things in this text that I could point out. And, of course, if I started doing so, I'd take up all, my, all of our time together this morning uh, with that. So, I'm going to go to the heart of this matter, the forgiveness of sin. And I want to tell you, even though these Pharisees and doctors of the law were usually wrong, when, especially when they were in the presence of Jesus, they were usually wrong. And they are wrong here because they failed to recognize who He was. He is the eternal Son of God. He was God among them. He's God among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He has always been, and so they failed to recognize who he was. And they accused him of blasphemy. And that would have been right had he not been who he was. But they accused him of blasphemy, but part of the statement that they made was correct when they said that no one can forgive sin but God. No one can forgive sin but God. Now, I want to address, I want to I tell you this as we begin. It's just in case I forget to tell you 
before the end of the message this morning. I want you all to know that this is the most important subject that we might ever consider. The forgiveness of our sin. I want to tell you this morning, every one of us, everyone who may be listening to the message this morning by social media, anyone who may download this message wherever in the world that you do, and people do, and I'm so thankful for that, that they do. I want to say to everybody, there will come a time when this will be the most important thing that in, in all of the world, nothing else will make as much uh, uh, matter as whether or not our sin has been taken away. Nothing else will matter. And I, I will tell you that when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, only one of two things are going to happen. Either He is going, uh, we will stand accepted in Him, and the Bible tells us this, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talking about, uh, talking about this matter, he said, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. I want you to know this morning, there's only one way that we can be rendered accepted, and that is in the Beloved. In Christ. In Christ. Or the other way, you might hear Him say, Depart from me, I never knew you. It doesn't mean that He never knew about you. He never knew who you was. He had always known that and always will know that. But He never knew you in the free pardon of your sin. He didn't, did not know you in that way. So just one of the two things. You see, my friend, if you know the Lord this morning, if your sins are forgiven, you will either die in Christ, and uh, the Bible talks about that. That's the only way that we will be accepted in Christ. But the Bible talks about Jesus talking. He uh, said these words. He said in John chapter 8, verse 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. You shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. And so the forgiveness of our sin is a critical point. Now I want to uh, mention something to you that I'm sure all of you are aware of if you know the Lord this morning. There is a kind of forgiving that all of us participate in. You say, well, I'm confused now because you said only God. Only, no, only God can forgive sin. Well, there's a forgiving that we might participate in. As a matter of fact, the Bible commands us to. It is our responsibility to do so. Let me share with you two or three passages of Scripture. You can listen to these or make a note and write them down if you like. But here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, listen to this, forgiving one another. And so you say, well, preacher, you mean I can forgive? Yes, you can in this sense. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Also, the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, 
forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And then it says this in Luke chapter 17 and verse 4, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again unto thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Has anybody here ever had that happen to you seven times in one single day? Then there's an interesting passage in the book of Matthew, and it's in the 18th uh, 18th chapter, Matthew chapter 18. And here's what it says. Uh, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Seven times, seven is a, a number that means completion in the Bible, uh, or he, he would imply that it was significant that he'd done that, efficient that he'd done that. And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That's four hundred and ninety times. How many of you that know the Lord this morning have discovered that this is something I'm commanded to do, forgive uh, my brothers and sisters in, in him. And, and it is tied to our own personal forgiveness because the Bible tells us that if we want him to forgive us, we've got to forgive each other. And the Bible is very clear uh, about that very thing. So it's tied to forgiveness. Now, here's, here's what this forgiveness is. This is not for the remission of sin. It is not. It is for reconciliation. That's why the Bible gives that. In other words, if you've done me wrong, and and you know I've not had that happen too many times in my life, but I have had it happen. I have had people to do me wrong. And they never come to me and said, I've been wrong. I repent. Would you forgive me? It never happened. But I forgave them anyway. I forgave them for me. And I want to tell you what, it brings peace when we are able uh, to do that. So it's for reconciliation. But if you did me wrong and I forgave you, then that doesn't mean that that sin is remitted. It doesn't mean that God has forgiven that because you may have to answer for that unless you confess it uh, to Him. And so this is the way that we can participate in this matter of forgiveness. But I want to address this matter of forgiveness as only God, only God can do. And I want to share with you this morning in two ways. I want you to mark in your mind two words, and it will help you to understand a lot of things. Relationship and fellowship. Relationship and fellowship. Those are two very important words. And we learn the way God forgives by those things. Now, first of all, there is that wonderful truth that is given us in the Word about a judicial forgiveness. Judicial or positional or based on relationship. I have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. I will always have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. I have two sons All of you know them. I have two sons. They are my sons. They will always be my son. They can never stop being my son. I can never stop being their father 
Now, I have a relationship with those boys. I'll always have that. But now, I might, it's never happened, thank God, it's never happened, that I might be out of fellowship with them. Uh, you know, maybe when they was little, uh, doing something really bad wrong, they might have thought they was out of fellowship with me for just a little bit, but they really weren't. But anyway, that's the way it is with those who are truly saved. When we're truly saved, the Bible teaches us that what God did was put the penalty of all our sins on Christ when he was on the cross. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says, who bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Who bore our sins in his own body on the tree. I've mentioned this several times. You mean that happened uh, when Jesus was on the cross? Preacher, did that happen as far as your sin was concerned at that particular point in time? And the answer is absolutely yes. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Don't forget that he's God. And he can do that. And so he did do that. So every sin... Now I want to tell you something. I'm fixing to share something with you this morning that a whole lot of this world don't believe and has not received but all of my sins and all of your sins, if you know the Lord today, were nailed to the cross, all of them, so that you could say, now listen to this, that every sin I've ever committed or every sin I ever will commit is remitted, has been taken care of by His sacrifice on the cross. God's justice and God's wrath has been satisfied. It has been satisfied. And it was a judicial act. This is something that God did. God the Father received and accepted the sacrifice of His Son on the cross as payment of the penalty of my sin. That has happened. And I mention this every once in a while, the song that we sing. And uh, Brother Aaron just broke down one time when we were singing the verse. My sins not in part are nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Now some would say and have, have said this to me, if I believe that, I'd just go out here and, and sin at random and just do whatever I wanted to do. My friend, if you've been born again, you won't. If you've been born again, you will not. You see, people don't understand that when God saves someone, He changes them forever. Forever He's changing them. And so the Bible tells us that, that Jesus died for all our sin. There's a passage in the book of Colossians, and uh, it's in the second chapter. Colossians chapter 2. Let me read verse 13 and 14. Here's what it says. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together, made alive with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having forgiven you all trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting and ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. This is what happened when Jesus was hanging on the cross. There's a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, it's in the 103rd Psalm, that talks about removing our sin as far as the east is from the west. 
And believe me, you can't get any farther than that. Also, the Bible talks about blotting out in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 12. Blotting out our trespasses and and remembering them no more. That means that God will not bring them up again. It isn't that God can ever get forget anything. He does not. But He will not. He chooses not to remember our sin because they have been forgiven. And then that wonderful passage of Scripture. I'll just read these verses. I love them. I've read them to you so many times in the past and how precious they are. And talking about in the book of Hebrews about God establishing the new, uh, the new covenant says by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I mean, the Bible is very clear about that. It happened once for all. And then it goes on to say, uh, but this man talking about Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever set down at the right hand of God. Oh, did you hear that? That's what the Bible is saying. Also in that same chapter it says this, For by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. And the Bible says uh, this in the 28th uh, verse of chapter 9 of that book, uh, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You say, but I don't understand that. It's like one of the men said to me this morning, I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. And I told him, yes, and I know what you do deserve, and you deserve the same thing I do. You deserve it. But we are not going to get that because, guess what? God forgives sin. He was willing to put my sin on Christ on the cross and pay the penalty of my sin Jesus by Jesus' suffering on my behalf. That is a wonderful and amazing fact that is in the Bible. Also, I'd like to point this out uh, to you this morning that if you don't believe that, and there are many in this world who don't, I'll just tell you right now, there's some precious promises that are made in the Bible that are not possible apart from this. Let me give you just one example of that. In the book of Ephesians, there's a wonderful uh, passage in the, uh, in the uh, first chapter of this uh, about our relationship with Christ and about our salvation. And here's what it says in chapter number 1. And I want you to keep this in mind. This is one of those blessings that is not possible, my friend, if God has not forgiven all your sin. It is not possible. And here's what it says in the 13th and the 14th verse of that first chapter. It's talking about those who first trusted Christ in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, listen to this, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. And he goes on in verse 14 and says, which is the earnest 
You just mark this down. You can write it in the column of your Bible if you want to, that that word means guarantee, which is the earnest or guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Under the praise of His glory. And it also says that in chapter 4 and verse 30, where it says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Why can we be sealed unto the day of redemption? We can be only if all of our sins were nailed to the cross of Calvary. That's the only way. I want to tell you this morning, there are many people in this world who do not believe in the eternal security of the believer. I know why. I know exactly why. I have debated that subject with many, many over the years, and every single one of them will tell you the reason why they cannot ever believe in the security of the believer, and they need not because they are not secure. They can't believe in the security of the believer because they believe that when they come to Christ that all of their past sins were forgiven and then it's up to them from their own. That's what every one of them will say. Up to them from their own. I want to tell you something. If that's true, my friend, you are not secure. You can never be secure because yes, you could lose your salvation and you will lose your salvation. If that were true, the devil will see to that. So there are blessings that are promised in the Bible that can only be experienced if our sins were all nailed to the cross. So there's a forgiveness of our sin that is judicial, it is God-pronounced, and it is positional, and it is based on our relationship. That is a relationship. If you are saved this morning... You are a son or a daughter of God. You are a child of God. And just like in our earthly relationships, you will never cease to be a child of God. You have that relationship. Now let me tell you something. That doesn't mean you're going to always be in fellowship with Him. Now I want to explain something to you all. In the book of 1 John, and this is a neat passage, and I don't know how many times over the years that I've been asked about this. And here's the question I've been asked many times. Well, if my sins are all forgiven, why do I need to confess them? And in this first chapter of the book of 1 John, it says that, that we're to confess our sin. And here's what it's what is teaching. Um, I like verse 4 these things I write unto you that your joy may be full a lot of people's joy is not full and this is a message which you have heard of him declaring unto you that God is light in him is no darkness at all and if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth I want to tell you all something this is a passage of scripture that's talking to Christians this is not talking to the unsaved world, even though uh, when one comes to Christ, he's forgiven of his sin by the blood of Christ, but he's talking to Christians. If you say you're saved, if you say you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, you're lying. The Bible several times tells us under certain conditions we're lying. 
And you know we need to understand that. But then he says this, But if you walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. This is talking about in the life and the experience of the believer. Now listen, he goes on to say this in verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then here's that main verse, it says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now this is another category of forgiveness. This is different. And this one is connected with fellowship. Being in communion with Christ. In fellowship with the Lord. I want to tell you something, Christian. All your sins may have been nailed to the cross and the penalty of those sins were bore by Jesus Christ Himself. But I want you to guess what? We are capable of sin after we're saved. We are capable of it. That passage of Scripture says if we're not, then it's a lie. It's just a lie. We're capable of sin. You say, now preacher, surely you have not sinned in the Yes, I have done things that I shouldn't have done. Now, I think our sound, if I, you just do this if I need to talk louder. I can sure do it. But anyway, uh, throughout life, the child of God is capable of saying and doing things that are not right or even thinking thoughts that they have no business thinking and failing to put them out of our mind all kinds of things might happen. And you know what? I believe in keeping a short account with the Lord. I believe here's what happens when the saved person sins or is disobedient to God. Here's what happened. The Holy Spirit indwells you and what He does, He brings it to our attention that we've done something that's not pleasing to the Lord or thought something or said something that's not pleasing. He brings that to our attention and what the Christian should do is immediately confess it and it means the word confess, agree with what God says about whether it's right or not. That's what it is, confessing our sin. We confess it and you say, well, preacher, you are forgiven, right? Yes, I am. Well, do you ask God to forgive? Yes, I do. And you see, this is to maintain fellowship with the Lord. Here's what it means when a Christian becomes backslidden. They are out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. You say, all right, what happens? I'm going to tell you what happens. The Bible's very clear about this. We move from being blessed of the Lord... Uh, Two, we move under His chastening or discipline in our life. Let me say something about that. Discipline is something that might go on for a long, long, long time. I was telling somebody this past week about a 90-something-year-old lady who had made a profession of faith in her younger years and had just continued to be out of fellowship with the Lord and continued uh, to do things that were not right. And she told me tears flowing down her cheek. 
that she had done wrong and she had confessed it and she had asked God to forgive her for those things. And when we confess our sin, guess what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is to maintain fellowship. Now let me tell you something, my friend. Christian, you don't want to move from under the blessings of God to move under the discipline of the Lord or chastisement of the Lord. And you may go that way for a long period of time. And I've said it this way, the first thing that happens when you fall under the uh, chastisement of the Lord is, as David said in his prayer of confession in the psalm, uh, restore unto me the joy, the joy. I'm going to tell you something. Some of you may know that I'm preaching the truth because that's one thing that will happen to you. You begin by losing the joy of your salvation. You might begin by losing that joy. Then you don't care whether you go to church or not. Next thing you know, you might drop out and then you might get in more serious trouble if you really are saved because that's what the Bible teaches. And so we move from being under the blessings of God unto being out of fellowship with him. We're out of fellowship. And I mean it when I say keep a short account with the Lord. <laughs> as soon as the Holy Spirit shows you that you're not obedient, that you've disobeyed or are disobeying or taking lightly things the Bible says, well, you need to confess that and ask God to forgive you, cleanse you from that sin and restore you in your fellowship with Him. Remember those two words, relationship and fellowship. That helps us to understand what the Bible's talking about. Now, here, let me share with you right quickly. I'm going to run out of time, but I want you to see this. In the 89th Psalm, and this pretty much describes it. There, here are some words in verse 30 through verse 34. Verse 30 through verse 34. If his children, he's talking about David. You can go back in that chapter and see that. In verse 20, David is, God said, is my servant. And it says, if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. That's the way God works. That is the way God's work. That was a promise that was made all the way back there. Now I want to say just a few words in closing this morning. There's something that bothers me greatly. Uh, I, I've read a lot of history, church history, and uh, I want to tell you something that will just stir your heart is to read about revivals and great awakenings that have happened in history. Uh, I, some, one of these days I'll share with you every one of them that I know about. It, uh, it's just absolutely unreal. Uh, a good example of that if you ever get a chance to read about it, is that sermon uh, that is one of the two most famous sermons ever preached. And it is, Jonathan Edwards preached it, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. When you read the whole story about that, 
Jonathan Edwards didn't get up and preach it. He got up and read it. And people began to scream and cry and holler and say, Oh God, forgive me. Oh God, forgive me. I've read about those things. I, I, I have read some pretty unbelievable things that have happened in days gone by, revivals. You say, preacher, what's the matter today? I've shared with you some statistics. And I could share them with you right now from my Bible, but we've run out of time. Statistics about what the religion of Christianity is like in the United States today. You would be shocked. And, then, and I can share with you statistics that have, have been gathered uh, by the most respected polling organization in just the last couple of years. What it's like when they ask people questions and things like that. We live in a day when there's rarely ever any conviction of sin. There are people that probably could sit and listen to this sermon, get up and walk out of here, and not be bothered by the fact that one day they'll stand before Jesus Christ. They may die in their sins. They may die in their sin. And I will tell you, go to hell forever. Forever and ever and ever. And there are people that are just not bothered by it anymore. I want to tell you one thing, and then I'll close, that I think has... Uh, really uh, made this uh, a, a fact. You see, back about oh, 120 years ago, or 125 years ago or so, there, there was a lawsuit over uh, being able to teach in school the theory of evolution. That's what it was. That's what it was called, a theory. My friend, I want you all to know this morning that in those years that have gone by, it's gone from being a theory to a fact. I love certain programming on TV, nature, nature programs and science programs, and sometimes I get so frustrated because they push it and push it and push it, and it's a lie. Evolution is not a fact. It is not true. I don't mean that people and creatures don't change over a long period of time. I've said it this way, if you tied my right arm and, and, and it stayed that way for 60, 70, 80 years, it wouldn't be of any use to me anymore. You know, we, uh, we adjust. You see, I don't deny that. But I'll tell you what, there are people today, they have no fear of their sins standing before God because they've been able to effectively set apart part of this Bible. And I want to tell you something, friend, if you ever set apart part of it, you may as well set it all because you don't know how much more of it is true. And the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis has been the main one. I remember years ago, years ago, when Baptists put together a commentary I don't remember what it was. Uh, I had a copy of it and I gave it away, the corrected copy. Uh, and when that come out, they, they, people throw the fit over what was said about the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. You say, what's in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis? 
If you want to know how this world came into being, you read the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. It'll tell you. If you want to know how God created this world, read it. It's in the Bible. You say, preacher, do you accept that bar none? I sure do. Absolutely, without question, I do. And so there, there are kids in school and, and adults in college and things like that that are being taught that you can throw out the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And I want to tell you something. There are people everywhere. They're not like they used to be. I mean, I remember a time when I've talked to people and they came under conviction for their sin. Now they'll laugh at you and make fun of you and make light of it. It's like the man I asked one day, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? He said, yes, I do. I'm going to hell with all my friends and laughed and went his way. They don't take it serious. They don't take it serious. I'm going to tell you something, friends. I'll tell us something. We may be nearing the end. Be ready. Be ready. Make sure that you have received that forgiveness that only God, no one but God can forgive sin. And He does. And He will. Father, we praise You and thank You for this passage. We thank You for these words who come from the Pharisees and doctors of that day. Even though they were wrong about who Jesus was, they was right about what they said, that no one but God can forgive sin. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for being at peace and knowing that when I leave this world and I meet you, that everything is already taken care of and it's right. Thank you for the peace that that brings. I pray you bless us in this closing number. If there are those who need to make a confession of faith or whatever the case may be, maybe somebody just needs to come and say, Preacher, pray for me and go back to their pew, whatever. Lord, I just pray you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now?